0: This is an ABC podcast. This is the WA Country Hour with Belinda Varischetti
1: on ABC Radio WA.
2: And a really good afternoon to you. Very happy you're here for the Country Hour today. Shortly taking a look at what's in the state budget for you in the agricultural and resources sector. And a little later in the hour today, South Australian researchers think that they've figured out how to grow wheat with high yields. And really high protein levels. Taking a good look at that research after the news headlines at half past 12 today. So do stick around for that. And starting in the grain sector today because this week's rain has been perfect timing for WA's grain growers. In fact, today's Grain Industry of Western Australia crop report shows the state is now on track to plant about 9 million hectares of crop. So close to last year's record total area for all crops of 9.2 million hectares. Michael Lamond is Giwa's Crop Report author. Michael, what does this rain mean for the season ahead?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a you know, just a good old-fashioned break to the season, Belinda. I mean, it's we've had that subsoil moisture. There's been crops going in the ground in you know, ever since the end of March and into April, although things have really dried out over the last couple of weeks, particularly the last ten days from the hot winds and you know, growers are then planting dry and a lot of the crops that had gone in early were starting to stress. So it's it's just been a you know just brilliant timing really. It couldn't it couldn't have been better. And um, you know the, the the amount of rain that we've had across the grain belt has been good. It's tailed off as a further east and further northeast in the Kwinana zone, although the areas in the north, you know, the Geraldton Port zone that were really stressing from the heat, you know, you know got reasonable rainfall and the areas in the, say the west Kwinana that had no rain up until now had, you know, 15 mils. So, you know, it's, it couldn't have been better really.
2: How much crop is actually in the ground at the moment?
3: Well, it varies a bit from what region you're in, but like in Geraldton, it's pretty well all in the, all in the ground. Um, same for Esperance. Um, you know, but, and, and the south coast, there's a lot of crop in the ground. It's the central area that's probably a little bit later, particularly the wheat. So overall across the whole state, it's probably about 70% of the crop's actually in the ground.
2: And what's the the breakdown this season? Well, as far as you can tell at this point.
3: Well, it's interesting, Belinda, you know, because after the huge year last year, the 9.2 million hectares, which was easily a record area planted and the, the tonnage that was produced and then the increase in cost, pretty well everything, a lot of growers had planned to cut back on area, although it looks like now that that area is certainly going to be around 9 million hectares and could even go up, particularly after this rain. So, it's been a quite a turnaround. I mean, grain prices have been strengthening. They strengthened again overnight. The wheat has, so it's, you know, I suppose growers have taken the opportunity again of early rain, just really timely break to the season, and good prices to to try and make the most of things.
2: Is this a better start than last season?
3: Well, it is for some regions. You know, some of the regions like the West Midlands and say it um, probably is actually. And also the south coast, although the western areas of the Kanana probably not, although you know, there's plenty of time for a good season to still occur there. So it's uncannily similar to last year in some respects in having the subsoil moisture and the warm growing conditions. And then we haven't had the rain right through like we had last year, although this rainfall event now is just couldn't have been couldn't been better at the time. So yeah, it's it's you know, all in all, it's a it's a really good start.
2: And what are growers deciding to do? Uh, kicking off with the canola. Do you anticipate that those plantings will be up on last season?
3: Oh, canola is certainly going to be up on last year, which was a record. You know, around one point six million hectares, or just under one point six. And so, you know, those early rains gave growers, particularly in the eastern areas, opportunity to plant canola early and canola being worth, you know, still very strong prices. And having that early rain means that once you get the canola on the ground, it's and up, it's you're half done. So there was a lot of canola, particularly in the eastern areas, which is the area that could have swung out of canola if there wasn't early rain and subsoil moisture. So having that go in the ground and then the majority of the rest of the state, particularly the medium and high rainfall areas, don't change the amount of canola area they plant particularly. So that was always going to be up at least what it was last year so we're looking at at least 1.75 possibly 1. 1.8 million hectares of canola in the ground
2: and then what about for a uh, wheat how's that looking
3: well wheat is it's the, you know there's still a fair bit of wheat to go in the ground most of what's left is wheat some areas still have a bit of barley but so the wheat it'll just depend a bit on those eastern areas where they didn't quite get Yeah, you know, most of the those eastern areas only really had 10 mil or fifteen if you're lucky, which will give growers, you know, the opportunity to plant into moisture for the next week to ten days at least, particularly where there's subsoil moisture. So I mean the wheat price strengthening could mean that those wheat area that wheat area that we've got at the moment, which is just under five million hectares, could actually creep up a bit. So it's looking like uh, another huge year of, of crop In the ground in in WA,
2: but canola, you know, could see significant increases in plantings. But for wheat and barley, a little bit around about the same as last year.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's that's correct, Linda. We've we've got about eight point nine million hectares at the moment in the crop report, which I think could easily go up on that. We had nine point two last year. Um, Yeah, and it's just a little bit unsure of how much more wheat's to go in the ground. Although, yeah, the, the wheat, you know, there was a projection of more wheat than barley this year, although with barley strengthening in price, particularly in the last month, month and a half, it's, um, it's pushed that barley area up a little. And so, yeah, the wheat and barley split is pretty well, looks to be at the moment similar to last year.
2: We were speaking, I think it was a couple of weeks ago when those sort of series of three fronts were coming through and there was some promise of rain out of that, but it didn't really eventuate. But it's a different story this week with the front coming through and delivering a lot of rain. What's the what's the feeling like at this point, Michael?
3: Well, I think it's pretty good. You know, like that. the good thing about the rain we've just had, even though it was, I mean, it was pretty good in some areas, but it wasn't as much as estimated in others. Although the the nature of the rainfall, you know, we didn't get the strong northerly winds that we sometimes do, which can cause some wind blows. So there was none of that. There was, the rain was fairly steady and over a reasonable length of time. So it soaked in, in the areas particularly that didn't have as much. So the effectiveness of that rainfall has been is going to be pretty good. And... Um, yeah, I mean it's yeah. Whilst we did miss out on that rain previously, this is certainly going to finish things off as far as seeds concerned, and um, get us you know get us started into the winter.
2: Thank you so much for the progress report. Appreciate it, Michael.
3: Okay, good. over Belinda,
2: Michael Lamond, Giwa's crop report author. It looks good at this point, doesn't it? And just after the news headlines at half past 12, off to the Bureau of Meteorology just to check conditions right around WA this afternoon and looking ahead at what's to come over the weekend. And Richard Hudson, of course, going through all the rainfall figures for you right after that. 13 past 12.
4: G'day, this is Hamish McTaggart from Vigimaya Station and this is the Country Hour on the ABC.
2: Well, the Premier and Treasurer Mark McGowan has spent the morning spruking the budget highlights to the state's top business leaders at a breakfast in Perth. The key point being a $5.7 billion surplus, reduced debt and a $400 credit for your household power bill, which is being paid for through high iron ore revenues, increased GST payments and a strong housing sector. The big-ticket items for the state's agricultural sector have already been announced pre-budget and discussed here on the Country Hour. But just to recap for you, those big-ticket items for ag include $332 million for a major upgrade at the Geraldton Port, $48.6 million will go towards establishing the Regional Digital Connectivity Program to improve mobile and internet coverage in the country, there's $40 million for rail freight infrastructure, $25 million to establish the Western Australian Agricultural Collaboration, which is designed to attract ag R&D funding for specific WA projects. And then there's $11 million for a large air tanker to be permanently based in regional WA over the bushfire season. The state government has also announced an additional $30 million for the Native Forestry Transition Plan, bringing the total of that package to $80 million. Now, the additional $30 million is designed to support the wider forestry community that's indirectly affected by the government's decision to ban native timber logging. To explain who's eligible, his Forestry Minister Dave Kelly.
5: This $30 million will be available to industries or businesses that are indirectly affected. While they're not customers of the Forest Products Commission, they may purchase, for example, timber from the mills. So it's those secondary businesses, if you like. It will also be available to businesses who want to establish a new business in this area or maybe expand an existing business. And I would anticipate that there'll be also some funding for community groups who might want to fund a project, some sort of initiative to either just improve facilities or amenities. Yeah, so it's secondary businesses affected by the decision to end native logging, new businesses who might want to come and set up a business, or community groups who may just want to improve the look and the feel and the facilities of these uh, the affected towns.
6: A few people have commented that the $30 million is far short of what's needed to attract new industries to the district. We've just seen one mill already closed down and the ban isn't even in place yet. The Collie Fund was $100 million and that's been dubbed as partially successful. So do you think the $30 million is enough in comparison?
5: Well, the total commitment from the government to date is now $80 So that's a very significant package. And in addition to that, there are other government funding packages that businesses in this area can access. So this is a specific fund relating to the native forest decision, but there are other economic diversification funds that have already been announced that businesses in this region can access. So $80 million is a very significant package and it compares pretty favourably with what we've done in Collie.
2: Forestry Minister Dave Kelly with Georgia Hargreaves. Shadow Forestry Minister Steve Martin says the funding package falls well short of what's needed.
7: It's disappointing. It's clearly not enough. I don't believe the Forestry Minister Dave Kelly has actually spoken to the locals. This consultation process has been a sham. Where's the business case that suggests 30 million is, is, is anywhere near enough to do what should be done for those communities? For example, they are spending $100 million in Collie, which is one industry in one town effectively, and they're telling the residents of the South West and the broader West Australian timber sector that 30 million can somehow replace the jobs in the industry that will be lost following their uh, unscientific populist decision to shut down hardwood logging.
6: So what do you think the priority is then for that funding? What do you think it should be going towards, you know, businesses indirectly affected or trying to attract new people and industries to the areas? What's the priority?
7: Well, there are a number of immediate priorities. Businesses are closing as of right now. So Parkside have already shut one mill. So uh, the Premier and the Forestry Minister said it would be business as usual until the end of 2023. That's clearly not the case. So those communities need help now. Uh, longer term, if we are going to keep and in fact in tra- attract jobs to that region, uh, there needs to be some serious work from this government, not a you know, a random figure plucked out of the air without any real consultation with the local communities. Um, so uh, the, that needs to happen. And this is not just uh, Manjumup, Nanup, Bridgetown, et cetera. This this spreads right across the south west. There are milling and timber businesses in Redmond and in Bunbury and, in in fact, in the Wheatbelt. And there are furniture manufacturers right across Western Australia who will be affected. I went to a firewood business in the northern suburbs earlier this week where they don't know what their future is. They don't have a contract with the Forest Products Commission and they are very nervous about what the future holds. So they're not getting logs this year. So does this compensation package include businesses like that? We simply don't know, and uh, obviously $30 million is nowhere near enough.
2: Shadow Forestry Minister Steve Martin with Georgia Hargreaves. 19 past 12. The WA Chamber of Minerals and Energy says its sector has contributed the equivalent of about a third of the state government's revenue. Adrienne Labombard is the Chamber's Manager of Industry and Competitiveness. She says the industry may have contributed the lion's share of the revenue, but the government has demonstrated strong economic fundamentals. We need to give credit to the government there
6: for the management of the economy through COVID. And we also think it underlies the continuing contribution of our WA resources sector. So looking at that, we've got $12.58 That's across royalties, Northwest Shelf grants and lease rentals. And that amounts to about 30% of total government revenue. So looking back, we really appreciated government support and keeping the sector going through COVID. And CME members are really proud of the contribution they're able to make to the economy, to this budget and to the communities where we operate. I think one of the other things with a $5.7 billion surplus that the government's delivered today, we really love seeing this, those contributions. And so our contributions flow through flow through into that surplus and, and then on into things like productive infrastructure, into you know, road safety improvements. And there were a few that were announced for the goldfields, uh, in particular. And then, of course, on important government spending like healthcare and mental health, and the cost of living relief that was announced today for West Australians.
4: I know a lot of businesses in the the minerals and energy sector, will. uh, one of the biggest challenges they face is finding accommodation and housing for the people that they do want to employ. We've got some announcements here about housing, but do you feel like that really major barrier for, for all people involved in industry and in the local community is being sufficiently addressed at the moment?
6: Yeah, look, there are a couple of initiatives in the budget today that definitely are a step in the right direction. I think, you know, these challenges with skills shortages and then even if you can fill some of these roles, where to house people, freeing up the land to bring on new residential developments, I think, you know, these are things that are going to constrain growth for some time and it's going to take continued focus. And I think we're really keen to continue working with the government on, on all of those areas to look at I think it's going to need to be a multifaceted approach. So these are really important and really great steps and we look forward to hearing more from the government on what's
4: next. Kind of looking forward, we've got some big concerns coming out of markets in the US, some talks of potential recessions and things like that. Could that spell some some headwinds coming forward for for the mining industry And, and have we kind of Would investments in in housing and infrastructure at this point in a boom, if we are looking at some tapering, would that be even too late?
6: I think you need to continue making those investments in productive infrastructure. Things like port capacity, of course, are going to be critical as we look to grow our exports. Uh, One of the things I noticed when I was looking at the budget papers today, reflecting on, on the gold fields, Last year, when the budget was handed down, there was an expectation of a decline in gold production and in the royalty revenue from gold in particular. And in this budget, they're actually projecting quite strong growth across gold, strong prices and and nickel as well, part of that, which is good news for the gold fields. And I think it shows, you know, there's going to be continued strength in our commodity markets, despite some of this geopolitical disruption uh, that we are seeing and the government continues to take quite, you know, a fiscally responsible approach to how they estimate prices in their forward estimates, with the return to the sort of long long term average iron ore price, sixty six dollars a ton in the forward estimates. And we're supportive of taking that conservative approach. I guess it helps the government be disciplined in their in their spending. And where we do, of course, we're always gonna have commodity market fluctuations as part of the cycle. And it's better to end up with a surplus than I guess not to be disciplined in the spending throughout the year.
2: Adrienne Labombard from the WA Chamber of Minerals and Energy with Sean Tarek Goodwin. 24 past 12. And as Adrienne was saying, she likes the fact the budget is based around conservative price estimates for a range of commodities, including iron ore, which has been assumed to return to its long term average price of 66. US dollars per tonne from November. The Chamber is also pleased revenue from lithium, nickel and gold revenues uh, is expected to increase in 22-23, along with North West Shelf grants. Lithium royalties in particular are forecast to substantially jump. In last year's budget, lithium royalties totaled $50 million. This budget... It's $255 million. and next year, next year's budget is forecast to be $447 million. The WA Chamber of Minerals and Energy says this reflects WA's growing position in future-facing commodities. 25 past 12. In some other budget reactions today, there's been a big sigh of relief in the East Kimberley with confirmation in the forward estimates of $265 million in state and federal funding to seal the Tanami Road from Halls Creek to the NT border. In fact, both governments have committed to the $500 million project expected to take up to a decade to complete. It's hoped the bitumised road will spark the creation of new mines and also see unallocated crown land opened up for cattle grazing. It's also an area where many Indigenous people live in poverty and economic opportunities are few and far between. Halls Creek Shire President Malcolm Edwards is thrilled.
8: It's just fantastic because it's been my number one project for many, many, many years. I mean, even go back to the 90s, I was trying to think what could really, what's the goer for the Kimberleys Halls Creek? What's the real, the real thing that we need? And I just thought, bit your mind's the town of my road. It's taken a long time. I've done two trips to Canberra advocating for it. I even drove years ago. We drove to Alice Springs with a party of people in a bus and met with the Alice Springs Council spoke to them about it. Um, congratulations to the Kimberley Zone because this is their number one project. When all the Shire Presidents went to Canberra they all advocated for Tanamar Road and I think without their help, I don't know if we'd have been looking at this today
5: now that the money's there how long do you think a project like this could take to build i'm guessing it would take potentially you know half a decade at least given it is a remote area
8: 314 kilometers eight years nine years even could be up to 10 years but this is providing obviously with our with our crew this provides local jobs uh, indigenous jobs as well you know will benefit in that way and that and if it, if it takes eight years to complete that means eight years of jobs.
4: What sort of economic
5: opportunities can a road like this provide?
8: Okay, you've got the pastoral industry. The further you drive down the tanama the less viable the pastoral stations become. Some UCL land not being utilised at the present stage. I've seen a report that was done by Neil Thompson who reckoned that if it was developed it could carry 50,000 more heads. So that means more jobs. There's also Mining, 90% of the mines in Australia are 10 kilometres from a highway-type road. So once the Tanama goes through, I've spoken to the miners down there, and they reckon it'll be a lot easier to get investors with the bitumen road, and there's that many leases down there, and goodness knows what's down there. So that's uh, in the mining industry, and that also means jobs. There's also tourism. You'll get people coming up with caravans that don't come up there now, so it'll be a great access to states. Right through into the into the
2: Kimberleys, Halls Creek Shire President Malcolm Edwards very happy with the news that there is money in the state budget uh, and some federal funding too to bitumise the Tanami Road from Halls Creek to the NT border. Just in response to the money for. Uh, forestry and the transition package, an extra $30 in the budget announced yesterday, which brings the total package to $80 million. This from Robin Busselton. How Dave Kelly and the state government have handled the ban of old forest logging, loss of 50-odd jobs, the closure of these sawmills and other businesses associated with this is nothing less than absolutely disastrous – they should hang their head in shame, says Rob. The text is zero double four eight nine double two six zero four. to text through
9: and have your say. 29 past 12, time for an update from the newsroom. Here's Ali Colvin. Hi, Belinda. A high-tech Chinese surveillance ship's been tracked off the WA coast close to a secretive naval facility that supports American and other allied submarines. The Defence Minister, Peter Dutton, has revealed the Auxiliary General Intelligence Vessel was closely monitored by the ADF over the past week as it sailed south past the Harold E. Holt Naval Communications Station at Exmouth. The war of words between the WA and Victorian Labour governments over the GST has escalated, with Premier Mark McGowan telling Victoria to go jump in the lake. Victoria's Treasurer, Tim Pallas, has labelled WA's GST deal with the Commonwealth an absolute distortion of fairness in light of WA's $5.7 billion budget surplus. Mr McGowan has told other states to stop blaming WA for their misfortunes and take responsibility for their financial problems. An American epidemiologist says a lack of vaccine uptake is to blame for the US hitting 1 million COVID-19 deaths since the start of the pandemic. The US is the first country to mark such a massive milestone, with the loss representing one in every 327 Americans or more than the entire population of San Francisco. Thanks, Belinda. There'll be more news at one.
2: Thank you so much for that update, Ali. Half past 12.
0: You're part of the Country Hour with Belinda Varasgetti on ABC Local Radio WA.
2: Danny Burkett along just before the news at one going through the wool market, which is up again this week. It was up quite a bit last week, up again this week. Danny Burkett going through those details for you. And also some really interesting looking research coming out of South Australia. And it looks like... The researchers have found out a way to grow wheat with high yields and really high protein levels. That's to come shortly. And of course, Richard Hudson in the studio in just a few moments, going through a lot of rainfall figures right around the state. Speaking of the weather, off to the Bureau of Meteorology. Luke Huntington, how's
10: it looking around the Southwest Land Division this afternoon? Yeah, the southwest land Division's um looking pretty showery at this stage, um, mainly through western and uh, southern parts. Um, and we've got um, a severe weather warning out for the south coast with some damaging winds just as a low pressure system uh, moves along the coast there, but only probably around one to five millimetres for the southwest land division today. And um, heading into tomorrow, there is another feature coming up. So a weak cold front will move through um, the southwest there uh, during the daytime. But it, it, this one probably only has light falls with So we're only seeing the highest totals around the southwest corner, uh, two to eight millimetres, and then one to three millimetres pushing right through most parts of the southwest land division uh, from Geraldton right through to Israelite Bay there. And then it quietens down on Sunday with a new ridge coming in. So really just onshore flow, creating some light showers along the south coast. And on Monday, there is another system to come through, a low-pressure system late in the day. So this one looks like it may deliver a little bit more rainfall, maybe 10 to 20 millimetres around sort of, Uh, southwest coastal locations, um, and then getting sort of lighter falls, two to ten millimetres, pretty much southwest of Lancelin to around uh, Albany.
2: And then in northern and eastern parts of the state, Luke?
10: Yeah, it's not actually uh, quite today. We've actually got a um, cloud band producing some heavy rainfall um, through the central Pilbara at the moment. So um, we do have another severe weather warning out for that. And uh, we could see six early totals around 60 to 90 millimetres as it goes through that area today. And um, it moves east pretty rapidly during today. So by this evening, it's probably um, eased off and those heavy falls would have sort of gone away. But there'll still be some shower activity through the eastern Pilbara and into the interior uh, tomorrow just with that um, cloud band uh, persisting, but certainly uh, not as much rainfall, maybe about 5 to 15 millimetres through the eastern Pilbara and into the interior. And then uh, on Sunday, it it does um, contract away and clear up. But we do sort of get another cloud band extending from the Pilbara to the interior on the Monday and then thickening up on the Tuesday. So on that next Tuesday period, we could see some more heavy falls through the Pilbara and and the interior with about 20 to 40 millimetres.
2: All right, back to this afternoon then, Luke. Any warnings?
10: Um, we've got, got that uh, severe weather warning for the heavy rainfall through the uh, sort of central Pilbara. And we've also got a severe weather warning for damaging winds along the south coast. And we've also got numerous gale um, and strong wind warnings out for the southwest of the state.
2: Thank you so much, Luke. Appreciate that. This is the Country Hour 26 to 1, taking a look at the rainfall figures in the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock this morning. This is going to take a while, Richard.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it will, but uh, hopefully we can get through it. In the northern and eastern forecast districts, nothing at all in the Kimberley, which is interesting, but in the Pilbara and the Gascoyne region, I'll read out those that are actually five mils and above because for some of these stations, they have been dying to get this rain, so it's very welcome. Chila Plains in the Pilbara district, 32 mils. Emu Creek Station, 20. Glenflory Station, 49. Learmonth Airport, 32. Marty thirty three, Mount Stewart thirty-five, Newman Airport five, Onslow fifty, Parabadu twenty-nine, Wailu forty, and Yaleen fifty, some Great Falls In the Gascoigne, Bulardi seven, Carey Downs twelve, Carnarvon seventeen, Q five, Denham fifty, Dulgunner eighteen, Durawarra fourteen, Gascoigne Junction thirty-one, Kirkalocker six, Mikathara ten, Mingar Springs twenty five, Minina twenty-three, Mount Clare thirteen, Mount Narian nine, Minara five, Murchison seven, Mergoo five, Neds Creek fourteen, Ningen Station twelve, fine seven, Shark Bay thirty-five, Steep Point thirteen, Rivers three rivers that is, fourteen, Thunderlara nine, Cherry Creek eleven, and Euringa Station nine Nothing over four mils for the interior goldfields or Eucla districts, but a bit out on the islands. Barrow Island, 14, Thevenard Island, 43, and Varanus Island, 25. And then in southwest land division forecast districts, yeah, a fair bit to get through. For the central west, we'll go five and above. Alanooka, 16, Arena, 11, Aradale, 13, Bajangara 8, Barberton, 11, Bellandine 12, Berkshire Valley, 12, Bindi Bindi, 9, Binu, 9 as well, Balgarda, 13, Canna, 12 to 14. Canterbury nine, Carnarvon twelve, Chapman Valley eleven, Coolangatta eleven to thirteen. If I give a range, it's because there's a number of rain gauges in that area. Instead of reading them all out, Karoo West eleven, Doodawar, Eneabra and Erregu twelve, Arangi Springs fifteen, Geraldton fourteen, Guther West fifteen, Irwin House twelve, Jurien Bay thirteen to thirty seven, Kalbarri twenty, Lanceland Defence thirty four, Latham ten to thirteen, Mindala ten, Ming. New 14 to 15, Moascar 11, Mora 11 as well, Morawar 18 to 20, Mullawar 15 to 19, New Norcia 10 to 14, North Island on the Abrolis 11, Perengiri 15, Port Denison 14, Riverside 18, South Homewood 13, Strawberry 13. 13 as well. Tabletop and Tarden Hill 12, Three Springs 13 to 19, Tobraddon 11, Wailabing 14, Wandana 16, Waradaji East 8, Wundi 10, Yandanooka 11, Yuna recorded 8 to 19. In the lower west, I'll just go 15 and above because they weren't so desperate to get the rain. Bindoon 17, Chidlow, 15, Gidjigan up 15, Lake Chittering 15, Lancelot East, 31, Mulyabini 15, Moondar Brook 23, Mouche 17, New Nile and Pierce at the Raft Base 16, and Werribee 15. In the southwest, I'll also go 15 and above for the same reason. Beetle up 25, Cape Lewin 18, Cape Naturalist 25, Carlotta 18, Kawarum up 25, Four Acres 19, Carrydale 25, Manjimup up 20, Mayan up south 15, Millian up 27, Northcliff 21, Pemberton 25, Quinnan up 23, Rosebrook 17, Scott River 21, Shannon 20, Walpole Forestry 19, Warner Glen 29, Williab up 27, Windy Harbour 24, Yanmar 15. Then in the southern coastal region, I'll go back to five and above, uh, Albany. 15 to 22, up 16, Bremer Bay, 21, Chessalon, 24, Shane Beach, 20, up 13, Denbarka, 19, Denmark, 16. Now, Esperance uh, only got four mils, but the reason I'm reading that out is I've just got this text, which says, um, this is from Brett, and he says, at the Dafwa weather station at Mount Baraminya, which is just northeast of Esperance, they only had 0.6 of a millimetre which isn't that much. He reckons it's pretty dry up in the northeast of Esperance. Uh, They're in Beaumont and howling westerlies won't help us out over the next few days. So he's hoping for rain. Let's hope you get some there, Brett. Thank you for the text. Gardner 22, Nowanga up at the GRDC 16, Hopeton 18 to 19, Jacob 39, Jerramung up 34, King River 20, Many Peaks 18, Mount Barker 16, Munglin up west 8, Narakup west 13, Nyuril up 28, Oakmarsh Farm 16, Ongar up 17 to 18. Pleasant Valley 5, Ravensthorpe 13, Stirling's North 15, Stirling South 16, Tamar 18, Warrajarra 16, and Wellstead 12. In the central wheat belt, Amory Acres 11, Ardath 12, Babakin 13, Balladew 15, Beacon 14, Belker East 11, Ben Cubbin 7, Beverly 20, Bonnie Rock 14, Bullfinch 9, Bungulla and Bunteen West 12, Burrakhan 8 Barcup South 9 Caddu 14 Kalji 13 Cod Codgen 8 Cuddun up and 13 Caucowing 14 Cundin 12 Dalwalanu 12 as well East Beverly 19 Janding 16 Goodlands 9 to 11 Gamalling 10 Grabble 13 Happy Valley 11 Hineshill 12 Kalani 9 Killerbean 8 to 17 Cocodine 16 Condit 11 Coldynobbing 6 Corder 10. Longfroze, 12. Meckering, North, 11. Meriden, 9 to 15. Monongarren, 12. Moorine Rock, 12. Mount Hardy, 14. Mount Noddy, 12. Mount Walker, 11. Mount Westdale, 20. Muckenbuden 9 to 13. Muresk, 17. Nanjinan 13. Nanyanine 11. Narambeen 13. Noongar, 10. Northam, 13 to 15. Quadney, 14. queriting 16 to 17. Redlands, 21. Shackleton, 13. Southern Cross Airfield, thirty thirteen 13, 14, Telenning Hill, 15, Training West, 8, Whale, 11, Westonia, 23. Um, and Westonia's Deeperd Station, 86, uh, I only just saw that, Wyalke, 14, Wongan Hills, 10 to 12, Woburn, 13, Yangadine, 18, Nattering, 11, Yilgarn South, 7, York 13 to 19 and Yorkrakine 12. I wonder if the deep herd, that's an outlier. I wonder if that's another Teat Pipette accident. Not sure about that. 86 of Westonia's deep herd station. Great Southern, uh, Badgerbuck 25 over two days, Boddington North 16, Boscobel 30 over two days, Brookton 18 to 20, Boolye 18, Chaming up 19, Cherry Tree 16, Colorado 22, Coondi 24. Quartering 16, Corrigan, Cranbrook, and Cranham all had 15, Culford 16, Darkin 15 to. Eighteen Dragon Rocks, 13. Dumble Young, 20 to 21. Franklin, 13. Glen Rose, 16. Highbury East, 24. Holt Rock, 11. Hyden, 13 to 16. Katanning, 17 to 19. up 16. Condinan, 15. Coolin, 19 to 20. Quida, 27. Lake Grace, 19. Lake King, 11. Magenta Dam, 38. Maradong, 20. Mordetta, 20. Mount Madden East, 8. Narogen, 19 nineteen, Newdigate seventeen to nineteen, Nyabing seventeen to twenty eight, Pingaring nineteen, Pingley twenty two to twenty four, Pingrup twenty one to thirty, Poppinining twenty seven, Quail up and Riverdale both recorded fourteen, Tamble up sixteen, Tunney fourteen, Wagen seven to twenty one, Wandering twenty four, Wiccapin eighteen to twenty nine, Wilgara twenty one, Williams seventeen, uh, Williams North uh, got 14, and Yealering East recorded 23, and that's it.
2: I think you missed one. You know. No, I'm playing with you. <laughs> out you go. Thank you, Richard. 18 to 1 here on the Country Hour, and South Australian researchers think they've figured out how to grow wheat with high yields and really high protein levels. The University of Adelaide's Dr Scott Bowden is involved in the work and says that's pretty rare to get that combo. So his team is excited, and he thinks grain growers will be too. But the interesting thing about this breakthrough is that they actually just stumbled across it.
1: We're originally trying to find genes that determine the number of flowers that form on a wheat plant. Um, as a way to try and improve yield and we found um some interesting variation for flower formation in wheat and once we'd identified the gene and characterized the plants further we were curious about the effect this variation had on grain development and grain quality traits so we grew the plants in the field and assessed yield component traits including grain protein content because that's quite important for um, growers both in terms of the nutrition of wheat and also its value and we were really surprised to see that the grain that these plants produced had um, significantly higher amounts of protein which we're quite excited about. So by discovering
2: these genes what will that mean down the track for new wheat varieties and and those that potentially could have higher wheat yields?
1: Yeah so we hope that by so at the moment we've got a few follow-on projects where we're trying to introduce this variation into elite varieties that are grown by farmers at the moment so this original research was grown uh, was discovered in varieties that were grown about 20 years ago it's just what we have to do in the lab so now the push is to try and put it into varieties that are grown by farmers and see if the higher protein content is maintained in those varieties I guess the follow-on as well is that Uh, This gives us new leads on how we might be able to find even further variation that could improve quality traits such as um, protein content that we wouldn't have guessed at the beginning of this project. So this this sort of tells us a little bit more about how the wheat is transporting nitrogen to the grain so that it can form protein. Why is the protein content so important? So um, wheat. Provides about 20% of the protein consumed globally by um, humans in, in our diet. It's a, it's a major source of protein. And um, the amount of protein that's in a grain is a major driver for the value that a farmer can sell his or her grain for uh, at the end of the season. So typically, grain will have uh, protein content between 10 to 13 or 14%, and the higher protein content allows a farmer to sell their grain for a higher price. It's then used for more high-quality products, such as um, breads, typically. And when we talk about pasta wheat, the protein content uh, often determines whether or not that pasta wheat can be used to make pasta or not. So it's a a major determinant of what the grain is used for as its uh, it's food at the end of the, the process, and it's a major determinant of what the farmer can sell their grain for. And I guess economically, that's pretty good news for farmers. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit difficult to predict what's going to happen in the next five or seven years, which is when we think there might be an outcome from this project eventually that can be used by farmers. But yeah, my, my big hope is that this could help farmers get better return for the investment they're putting into the field. Just finally, Scott Bowden, what excites you about this research? Oh, there's lots of things that excite me about it. I think that we've come into an age now of of biological research where wheat has gone from being something that can only be improved by breeding to something that we can improve uh, quite rapidly through understanding the genetic basis of agronomically important traits. And that's something that we're sort of riding the wave of at the moment. And for me, this is an outcome that shows how we've been able to use all those advances over the last 10 years or so, um, and it really gives us some exciting leads that we can further investigate to understand yield component traits and um, grain quality traits that we wouldn't have guessed when we started this project. So the, the amount of possibilities that this research opens is, is something that's really exciting to me.
2: Dr Scott Bowden from the University of Adelaide, speaking with Brooke Neindorf about how they've identified a genetic driver that improves yield traits and also increases protein content by as much as 25%. And they're working on that with the UK's John Innes Centre. 12 minutes to 1. You are off to the East Kimberley now because the Ord Valley melon picking season has just started. It was delayed a little bit last month when there was some unseasonal heavy rain that caused a few problems and some leaf disease. Christian Blocker started picking his melons on Monday and he'll go through until at least the end of October. But the big question is, who is picking the melons? Well... Christian has a team over from East Timor on the Seasonal Workers Program.
11: We love these guys. They're, they're amazing. They're awesome. Some of them have been here before, so some of them know uh, what to do. So it's, it's made the training process a whole lot easier. Uh, and they've, they've picked it up really quickly.
7: And you've got a few more coming in?
11: Yeah, so as, as the season progresses, as the pumpkins start as well, we'll have uh, another crew coming in from East Timor and then we'll get to go through the same training process with them as well.
7: How are you going for staff? Have you got enough numbers on the ground now?
11: Yes-ish. Um, it's, it's actually been harder to get skilled operators, i.e. tractor drivers um, or machinery operators. They're a lot harder to find to get to come up to Kununurra and get to stay in Kununurra as well. In terms of pickers and packers, we've got these East Timorese there, we've got that organised, so so that part of it's fine, We've we've got them organised for the season. It just—it's really hard trying to find those those supervisory roles or people for supervisory roles, and those that have that are more skilled or of a higher level of qualifications. Just, we're so far away from anyone here in Cunnamulla, trying to get them to come here and stay here is very difficult.
6: The East Kimberley Dharma was just announced. Will that
9: help at all?
11: It will in the long run. At the moment, directly no. I think we'd use it more to offer it to those people that we've seen that they want to be here. We know what they're like. We know that they fit in with the team that we've got here. So it's something that we'd offer to them. I don't think it'd be something that we'd offer to someone sight unseen.
2: Ord Valley grower, Christian Blocker, speaking to Steph Sinclair. 11 to 1. And just picking up on that point that Christian's talking about, you know, finding appropriate farm workers. Well, obviously that's a problem for farmers and a lot of other people right across the country. And it's been mentioned as a federal election issue too. Federal Labor says if elected, it will reform and expand the Pacific Australia Labor Mobility Scheme. And that will include moving the coalition's agriculture visa to sit under the scheme. But Executive Officer of Mallon's Australia, Jonathan Davey, says industry has worked with the government to design the ag visa. So, if elected, he hopes Labor will honour the current plan
12: labor issues have been have been pretty hard hitting over the last couple of years we we've seen people who have turned their production down 20% up to 50% just because there's been no ability to actually pick the melons and get them off the ground working holiday makers and and other visa holders have been the key for us over the years in in the melon industry we obviously recognize and support the the palm scheme but for us you know industry over the last decade have been calling for a specific agricultural visa where we can bring in unskilled uh, slightly skilled and and highly skilled people to support the to support the businesses do what they need to do to provide the best possible quality product through to our Australian consumers we were successful last year obviously with the with the liberal national coalition in getting the ag visa up and established there's the MOU that's been signed recently with Vietnam which is it's a great step forward there's other people that are interested and I guess from an agriculture and a melons perspective it's it's a bit disappointing to see that the Labor response in terms of just rolling it into the palm scheme and honouring the MOU with Vietnam, but no real structure and, and I guess opportunities being progressed in terms of what we've been calling for for many, many years.
9: The the coalitions, the, the new ag visa that they've been working on, why is that needed? Um, why Aren't the current Pacific Labor schemes
12: filling the gap there? I guess it comes down to the available workforce. The whole concept of being out in a field for six to eight hours a day, bending over, picking up 12 to 15 kilo watermelons. You need a specific sort of person to do that. It means that the ag visa really gives us the ability to diversify where we bring people in from. Whereas the PALM scheme at the moment, solely focused on the Pacific, hasn't necessarily met a lot of the needs of industry over the years. There was the reform process that happened last year, which was great and really widely respected and and accepted by industry, but we still needed something else. We still didn't have the numbers of people coming in on that scheme, hence the push for the Ag visa, so that we can really diversify and get both skilled un- and unskilled people, into the country to support our horticultural sector.
9: Now, Labor's plans with the election, they've announced plans to to reform the current scheme and bring the Coalition's Ag visa under the current Pacific Labor scheme. But they are saying that they want to reform and expand that scheme, reduce upfront costs, extend the length of stay. Is that not
12: enough? Uh, for us, we don't know what a reform palm scheme looks like. Is it still just focused on the Pacific? If it is, then that's not enough for us as as uh, the melon industry. It's just not going to cut it. We need the ability to bring in both those skilled and unskilled people, which at the moment under the palm scheme isn't available.
2: Jonathan Davey, he's the Executive Officer of Melons Australia, and he was speaking to Max Rowley. Six minutes to one here on the Country Hour on the ABC right across Western Australia. News for you at one. And just before the news, Danny Burkett along to go through the wool market, which is up this week. First, though, have you ever thought about what your property looks like from 11,000 metres up in the sky? Well, Virgin Australia pilot Chris Parnell gets a special view of the world from the cockpit, but he also has a close connection with WA's Grain Belt. He was one of the many pilots who had to find other work when flights were cancelled due to the COVID pandemic, and last year he worked on farms during the grain harvest. But he's back up in the air now with an entirely different view of seeding.
13: It's quite incredible actually when you get when you get a, uh, a dark night like we've had this week uh, with no moon early in the evening, uh, it's just a sea of lights uh, that look very much like stars so um, and we fly on our instruments so it doesn't really affect us. but if you were relying on visual cues to know which way the plane was up you'd find it very hard because the, the stars and the ground look exactly the same just from all the tractors and the, the seating equipment on
2: a recent flight, you snapped a photo from the cockpit and shared it with us. It's
1: quite extraordinary. It almost is like looking at a city.
13: Yeah, it is. It's amazing. Um, I just took that picture because I'd been describing it to my dad and um, a few mates out from when I was working and on on the harvester. And um, I thought, I'll have to try and get a photo of this. And I just was playing around with a long exposure on my phone, actually. And that photo came out. So I was pretty happy with that.
1: And I'm pleased to to hear that you are back in the air and, and, and very busy.
13: Yeah, we are. We're back to more flying than I've done for probably the last 10 years at the moment. So it's uh it's quite amazing, really.
2: Pilot Chris Parnell speaking to Natasha Harrodine, and you can see his photo on the ABC Midwest Wheatbelt news site if you want to take a look. Four minutes to one. Uh, Richard Hudson was in the studio just a little while ago going through all the rainfall figures right across the state and Eric from Nunnile just sent this text through saying that he rang his dad in Brisbane with the happy news of his 15 millimetres overnight and 81.8 millimetres year to date. Well, he deflated Eric's ego by saying that he got 88 mils last night and 1,754 millimetres year to date. So Eric says, I think he wins. I think you're right, Eric. And just on that, more than a dozen emergency alerts have been issued across Queensland from North Burnett to the New South Wales border. The severe trough that dumped heavy rain on Queensland's north and west this week is moving south. Queensland's bomb is saying the Brisbane River will reach its minor flood level over the weekend. Queensland Fire and Emergency Services is saying since yesterday afternoon, its swift water rescue teams have responded to more than 20 water-related incidents, including one earlier today in Pomona, where they assisted a group of stranded adults and children. It's a pretty serious rainfall. Three minutes to one. To the wool market, and it's up this week. The eastern market indicator up 26 cents to close at 1,427 cents a kilogram clean. And the western market indicator up 29 cents to finish the week at 1,502 cents a kilo clean. Danny Burkett, two impressive weeks back to back.
14: Yeah, that's actually the sixth consecutive trading days of upward movements. And don't quote me, but I think in the last two years, uh, the best run's been seven days, driven, pretty much driven by a low Australian dollar, um, little wool coming out of South Africa due to the export ban China has in place, lower quantities in Australia, um, the uniform orders being filled in China. Their re-export market on the finer end um, has been very strong. So that's taken us back to the highest point we were at the end of Jan. And we're just a touch off the highest point for the last 12 months. 18 micron in Fremantle up 30, closing at 21.55. Worth mentioning, 18 and a were up 55 clean this week. 19's up 40 to close at 17.40. 20's up 20, 14.30 to close at 21. Up thirty, thirteen seventy to close. Twenty two is close at thirteen fifty. They were up thirty five. Pieces and bellies that had the big rise last week, six sixty to seventy cents were pretty much fully firm this week. Lambs, very strong, wieners, very strong. lox, up 30 to 50, depending on the micron, depending on the VM, stains, and crutchings, fully firm. So, a great result uh, in particular for the Fremantle market and being the last centre trading that did close very firm. So, um, it's a great result over the two days.
2: And the buyers this week, Danny?
14: If we look at the tech world trading, no surprises 18.8% of the fleece wool, the Merino fleece wall across the country, TNU, Mellower, PJ Morris, uh, with second third and fourth it's great to see mellow come in some of those better yielding walls are right in the alley for the chinese so that's drawn a fair few of those chinese traders in as they start to come onto the market if we look at the crossbred market, TechWool, the largest buyer. If we look at the skirtings, TechWool, the largest buyer. And if we look at the oddments, Tech TechWool, the third largest buyer. So, again, driven by TechWool, nearly 19% of the market. That's where they were two weeks ago. Uh, very strong. But, as I've said, in the last three weeks, it's great to see those other buyers lining up underneath TechWool.
2: 15 seconds, Danny. What's happening next week?
14: Sydney, Melbourne, Fremantle. A bit more volume on the market this uh, next week, 46,100 bales. So that's slightly higher than where we've been, but not that
2: 50,000 bar mark. Jenny, thank you so much for that. Appreciate it. It is now time for the news, one o'clock.
4: You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.